0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 226. As far as plans go, I make my own. This week, we're discussing the Battlestar Galactica movie, The Plan, and season 4, episode 14 of Angel, Release.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so, uh, well, so might as well start out with production notes, um, why, why change now, right? Um, yeah, so, great question. so go, go ahead, Kat, because, uh, I think you had some, right?
1: <laughs> I do, and I'm gonna run through them real quick, just to kind of note that this, uh, movie was written by Jane Espenson, directed by Eddie Olmos, um they uh Eddie, you know we kinda Eddie, went huh? <laughs> Eddie. Yeah, we're on a first name bas- bas- basis. Uh after listening to like all of those panel discussions for like prep for the recap discussion, it's like yeah. Um me and Eddie were we tight. <laughs> um so okay, you made me lose my turn of thought. Yeah. kind of went through some of this earlier in the production but um you know obviously this was shot you know uh, announced um towards the end of the fourth season like you know when they were kind of wrapping up the series um production was in September 2008 so kind of before the you know last half of season 4 had been shown on sci-fi and then, sure. you know, it, it was premiered in January 2010. So um, I feel like we kind of went into more of this in the original uh, kind of BSG intro episode that we did. But um, I didn't include all this these notes again because it kind of would be rehashing all material. But it, it's an interesting, you know, kind of confluence of events of the the plan being the last kind of hurrah for bsg which was around the time that the sci-fi channel sort of rebranded itself as sci-fi um right and kind of went into this period of decline um where like you know for some reason they got out of the scripted you know uh acclaimed drama, you know, phase which they weren't ever really that, you know, much of a leader in that field, but they had battle sort of keeping things uh critically acclaimed and successful. Um and it's really only, you know, that that rebranding happened in 20 in 2009. So it's like just as BSG is ending. Um and I feel like it's really only in the last year or two that I've started to see like They are making like overt claims to saying like, all right, we're getting back into the the scripted game that we Mm -hmm. used to have with Battlestar, like the glory days of BSG and everything Um, Mm -hmm. with things like the expanse, the magicians and all that sort of thing. So um, it's an interesting kind of I feel like the plan is like in the very beginning of 2010 kind of marks the end of an era for the sci fi network um, before they went into that new phase. So just kind of interesting from a history point of view. Um, did want to mention when doing the other prep work that um, Bear McCreary, the composer, did continue to do the music for all of the various spin offs that they did, which is, you know, kind of notable. So there's some musical continuity. Um, I wanted to point out, like, low-key, maybe my favorite thing about this movie is the, like rock version of the opening credit song, which is like played over the closing credits. Mm. Um, but like, you know, not that it kind of,
0: so wait, 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 it... you're saying the best part of this movie is when it ends.
1: <laughs> when it ends with a really kind of kick-ass, like, you know, just, uh, rehash of the same theme music we've had all along, but kind of yeah. redone. Um, just having tracked the music through the series, it's kind of worth noting, I think. Um, we're spoiling our reviews a little bit here. I won't go too much into reception because let's just say it was mixed. Um, I like the Wikipedia line which says that reviews are scant but generally favorable. Like, Which means like if you follow the link to Rotten Tomatoes, there are like six reviews total so like there's really not much published on the plan
0: (laughs) it's not a statistically significant number
1: it's it's not and and what there is both critically and audience wise is pretty much split you know in terms of not even very positive or very negative but generally kind of lukewarm and and sort of tepid reviews Mm. um and yeah, and so I guess to kind of push it back to you. Um there is one little featurette on the DVD called and they have a plan, which it was like the the little teaser for the movie The Plan where they kind of try to get to convince you to watch it when it comes out on TV. And it's, you know, they're talking about the idea and um kind of in a similar way to the mission statement the 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 line of and they have a plan was something that maybe took on a life of its own beyond the purpose it originally had I mean it it was there quite literally you know Ron Moore basically blames David Icke for tacking on this promise at the end of the opening credits of saying and they have a plan please tune in next week we swear we know what's going on and we you know the Cylons have a plan and so do we and we're in control of this ship um which they never had any detailed outline of what that was supposed to be and never really had any intention of fulfilling that promise from a like detailed like explanation point of view Mm -hmm. but that is the the quite literally that's the impetus behind this movie is that we've been Promising this thing for four years, why don't we finally kind of make good on that and cash in that promise and you know hence we have the movie the plan um mm-hmm. so we can i you know I definitely would like to talk more about that as a premise for a story, you know um And, you know, and get into some other kind of meta critique here. So I will, I will throw it back to you to see where you want to start.
0: Sure. So, well, I mean, I had, so I had really two questions coming into this. And I feel like it'll be, it'll probably provide the bulk These two questions will provide the bulk of our conversation. um, Although we may want to bring in other stuff. Um, Yeah, I was so and actually while you were talking too, I was like trying to go back and think, and I I looked up like the list of programs on Sci-Fi. Like, there's really not that many that they have done. I didn't realize like so much of their stuff is 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 not first run on their network, right? It's like other other stuff right right they right um, they buy a lot of yeah. or, or of course it's like Sharknado, like
1: yes right and i feel like that's really after this period that's really what they became known for was like well, reality was like, shows and and kind of intentionally like, terrible tv movies and, i mean define
0: reality shows because it was like wwe and like ghost hunters and like sure. stuff like that like it wasn't Right. I mean, yes, maybe right. technically those are cons- in the reality genre. <laughs> right. But, like, right. yeah. Right. No, I, so, like, right. but yeah, no. Well, I, and,
1: and there's an interesting dovetail with our Doctor Who discussion here, which I was reminded looking things up that 2009 is when BBC America got the rights to show Doctor Who instead of Sci Fi Channel who had had it for New Who up until then. And it's like, you kind of realize in this like year, they made some pretty bad calls that set them on a particular path for a decade or so. And only now are they kind of course correcting. And I think BSG is kind of seen as the flagship of the channel, like the network at its peak, like what it could be be doing and hasn't been doing for the last Mm -hmm. eight years or so. So
0: Um, um, Yeah. And just, so looking at like sort of the scripted shows they have. um, So you've got like, um, like you mentioned the expanse and the magicians, um, which I've seen the latter and and I quite enjoy the adaptation that they've been making of that. But then like um, other ones that I've heard, of um include the 12 monkeys which i've never seen the show i i remember seeing the movie back when it like first came out Mm -hmm. um and uh winona earth is like the other one but i think that's actually a canadian show that they just Mm -hmm. um air like i don't i don't even know that i don't know there might be like one of those co-development things where they're right right you know do whatever but Um, But looking up, uh, you know, I think there's opportunity for excitement about some of their upcoming programs, possibly Mm -hmm. even in context of this podcast. Who knows? Um, Because one of the shows that they are supposedly developing is Stranger in a Strange Land, Mm -hmm. uh, which would be interesting because I've been waiting for some kind of Heinlein TV show to (laughs) appear at some point. um, Yeah.
1: uh, Your whole life.
0: A while back. Uh, there were rumors about Brian Singer, I think, doing a um, Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, TV show, oh, and then yeah, that yeah, sort I of that. Yeah. that sort of faded in, into the dark. Uh, of course, there was also rumors at one point of Tim Minear writing the screenplay for a Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, I remember film. hearing that too. Yeah. But anyway, that that is neither here nor there. We're here to talk about the plan, even yeah. though I'm doing my best to avoid talking about the plan <clears throat> because I mean if you haven't picked up on it by now I I was not a fan of the plan um and uh we can discuss wherein its badness consists uh to use a favorite phrase but I think again going back to what are the two questions that I have one is um does the plan work like, the plan, like, you know, Cavill's plan, I guess. Or the Cylon's plan. It's kind mm-hmm. of Cavill's plan, but kind of not. And kind of doesn't exist anyway. Um. So that's my first question. And then my second question is, does the plan work? That is the entity the that film. is the film that right. has, like, a follow-up to the series. like Like, does it actually work? And does you know sort of the idea of having this like prequel film it's not even really a prequel i guess because like we don't get much really before right. like i don't think we actually get more before the silent the the you know attack on the colonies than we do in the movie in the original like uh series itself right like no it's pretty like we pretty much start at the same place
1: um right yeah yeah no it's kind of mini series through season two um
0: right so yeah so just from a yeah like as like an addition to the canon does it work yes right um not not even necessarily from a story perspective but um so, yeah. I, you know, we can pull in, like, specific examples and characters and stuff. I don't – I'm not that interested in going, like, character by character mm-hmm. like we've done in previous conversations, mm-hmm. um, although we can certainly bring in any anyone you might want to talk about for any of the situations here. But let's start with that first one. Like, d- d- from a story perspective, like, diegetically, does the plan work? Um. Is there a plan? I wrote down what Cavill says is the plan. At one point, okay. he says, "The plan is everything blows up a week ago," <laughs> which is a very—I mean, we're
1: already—we're off plan. If if there's if
0: there's uh, like a signature sort of Jane Espenson moment, yeah. which I feel like you do get some of her humor coming through in this episode. You do, you even do. even though I don't think it's particularly humorous as an epi- as a movie. Right. Like I there's definitely some humorous moments like that. The, the-
1: I, I think I think just in case we don't get to it, my favorite Espensonian humor is um Doral's teal jacket.
0: Yes. Well sure. Like there
1: are those there are those little moments of but, sparks of life. But his was yeah. Burgundy. Yes. Like yeah, like, <laughs> like the contrast between which I think is a great that is a great That's a funny line, because not only is it just funny and prissy from a Doral point of view, but like a kind of meta commentary on all the different variety of characters that Trisha Helfer played within number six versus the almost exactly the same clones of Doral that wander around and that he thinks by changing his jacket to teal that he's unrecognizable. Like there, there are those well, moments of you, you know. She is going to have those moments of intelligent, kind of critical humor in there and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we like before we crap all over this movie, we'll like acknowledge that. You I I know, will say like Espenson can't not be funny and smart. So, in, so you know so
0: can so we'll get to it in like the second question. Which is very similar to my first question, but yes. I feel like, I feel like, just to sort of preview that, unless we just want to talk about it now, either way is fine. My, my thoughts on this is that it's not the writing or even the directing that make it bad. Okay. Like, I feel like it's just, it, it was just a bad idea. It's a to bad begin. Like, I just, yeah. I don't, like, to answer my question is, no
1: no <laughs> the, and no the, the plan, Are the two the plan to as
0: a movie yeah. like just the idea of of having this going back and like filling in the gaps and all of that doesn't work and i have some thoughts as to why but yeah like that's okay that's my i i don't necessarily think that the writing is bad mm-hmm. and i don't necessarily think that the directing is bad and i think there's you know, I mean, it's a two-hour movie. I'm sure we can come up with some things to say about it, but like, like, like positive things to say about it, like, mm-hmm. you know, the funny lines, or even like some of the, you know, homages or or the ways that they sort of inter interweaves, you know, kind of the old footage and new and and all of mm-hmm. that. Like, I do think there are some clever things done, like technically and from a writing and directing perspective. So I don't want to, I don't want necessarily say that that's it i i do think yeah. a lot of the problems just come with that sort of higher level idea of just what they're trying to do and mm-hmm. and the way that they then have to sort of force a story into an existing story <laughs> um, sure you know yeah. sort of you know what what's it's like like shoehorning in yeah you know yeah. sort of this other story um yeah, with the Cylons and trying to make it all fit. So yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. No, and that's that's. Um, I think that's part of, not entirely, but part of what can sometimes grate on my nerves about certain kind of modern franchises is you know, I'll pick on Marvel because I like to pick on Marvel. Of, I mean, I think it's worse here it's you know like there's a level of execution that it's not even really kind of pulling off but like that idea of the story is telling a good story is secondary to the the need to fit the puzzle pieces in in a certain kind of way Sure, um, and it really kind of made me notice it more taking notes as I always do um, and finding really surprising imbalances among the characters of who gets a lot of screen time and, you know, or a lot of focus, you know, or whatever. And kind of thinking like, why is this the way that it is? And realizing it has very little to do with where I think the writer would like to put the Time and the emphasis, or what the, the story is trying to say, or what the themes are. It's more about who have we not spent time with in this time frame of the story, and therefore they get more time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I like there's nothing new with Ty. Um, and I don't think it's because Jane Espenson doesn't want to include Ty, I think it's because we spent the first two seasons with Ty. There's nothing new to say. But, so, like, you have one of the final five who barely, his screen time is all pretty much archive material from the first two seasons. There's really no new scenes with him. Whereas you get, like, way tons amount of screen time with Sam and with Cavill because you have, like, a whole season and a half before you ever saw them. Well... Which, it's like, I not that I don't like those characters, but you realize there's... The logic to it is only to do with where do we have room to shovel in this new story and not where is story going to be interesting.
0: Sure. At the same time, well... Yes, I see what you're saying about why we don't get a lot of Ty. But then we also get like a fair amount of Tiril.
1: I guess I mean I feel like he's on the like the only so, stuff with him is with this new character that they kind what, of introduce. Like there's
0: really But compare that so okay, so so I guess the opposite of Ty would be Ellen. Right. Like we get more with her mm-hmm. where, cause she's not like, she doesn't appear in the series till right well into it.
1: But only up until the attacks and then she gets injured and then she disappears like for the second half of the movie. So
0: well, well but, but okay, hold on. Let me, let me, work. so I agree. I agree. We can get s- some stuff with Sam who's like, who doesn't even show up until the second season mm-hmm. of the show. But then what about Tori? We like right. see her like get flipped over in a car, and then right. she literally disappears. Right. And and I I'm not saying like like we at least get like stuff with Ellen and like the, you know, references and with Cavill and you know like all of that. And then it's like when Cavill delivers her like to the fleet, basically, right? Like then she kind of disappears, and that's where we pick up. Like because we know like she's just been like recovering on mm-hmm. some ship and we learned that that's actually true. That's actually what was happening and that's all fine. And like, we kind of know to where to pick it up from, from there. But like Tori, um, like she wasn't even around because like Rosalind's assistant at first was Billy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then like he dies mm-hmm. and then we like see Tori, but like we don't really get anything with her until like, pretty well into the second season I would say right like Mm -hmm. I mean it's like I'm trying to remember exactly when she even becomes like an actual speaking character and not just like the new assistant I mean she might say a word or two here and there but like you know I don't know I feel like that might be a place where they could have you know, feasibly like fleshed out a character more that we didn't really know. Not that I'm saying I really want to know more about Tori either. Like maybe that's why they didn't. It's because like she's not that compelling of a character Mm -hmm. at that point anyway. And I don't I mean I don't think she ever really does sort of live up to what her potential could have been in the series as a whole. But Mm -hmm. like at least later like you do see sort of a transformation with her. But like here it's just like Like, if we didn't know that she was one of the final five already, which, fine, they're making this movie after everyone's seen the show and whatever. So, like, we do know that. Like, she's just some woman driving down the road who gets her car flipped over and rescued. And that's the last we see of her. Except, like, in that one shot where, like, Cavill looks around and sees, like, all the five, like, there together. Right. You know, and he's like, oh, I didn't imagine it this way.
1: Right. Blah, blah, blah.
0: But, like... There's literally nothing with her. So, like, compared to that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, Tyrell doesn't get as much as Sam. But, like, like we get a lot more new stuff than we do with Tori. <laughs> and even right. maybe, like, right. on uh, on comparison with what we get with Ellen.
1: Yeah, yeah. To a
0: certain degree. So,
1: yeah. I, I just... Yeah, and then, like, that's why the the rewatch and the note-taking was interesting. Because, I, I mean, I couldn't have told you what I thought would have happened. But in my memory... Tori played a bigger role, like oh yeah, there's there's they go into backstories and there's stuff with Tori, and then I watched it, and it's like, no, there's really not, like it's one scene, and then that's kind of it, and I guess it's it's not that I feel like um disappointed about who they gave time to or who they spend time to. It's more the thing of it seems like the the structure was just completely dictated by what they had time for in a given because of the way the story had to go. Like, there's no freedom to, you know, do anything outside of the box they've already sort of painted themselves in. Mm -hmm. Um, And now maybe they could have done more. Like you're saying there's opportunities to do more with Tori that they didn't take up, but... um,
0: Well, I'm I'm just saying... we they didn't explore her, so we don't know what they could have done, but like, right. but like, I could also see them saying, like, yeah, Tori wasn't really our favorite character, and maybe wasn't like a fan favorite either, so like, let's just not right address her <laughs> much, right. Like, let's show right. her here and there, but like, let's just kind of
1: right bring her
0: back. So, I, I don't, I,
1: so anyway, and and it's a little bit of a catch 22 in that when they don't take the opportunity to explore new territory that's slightly disappointing Mm -hmm. but then when they do you either feel like you're kind of rehashing things that we already know like Mm
0: -hmm. all you're
1: doing with ellen is basically visualizing what she told us so it's not really new story it's just sort of showing us things we are familiar with or it's this kind of you're over-explaining things to the point where the the mystery is lost a little bit. Um, Which I think is... is,
0: We've clearly gone well into the second question, so let's just keep talking that. Because, like, for me, Boomer is the epitome of that second part. Right. So, like, one of the things I really like about her character and the way her character develops in the miniseries and then you know in like through the first season really and and beyond but like kind of up to the point where like she shoots Adama basically right the the thing that i like is the ambiguity of mm. does she know she's a sleeper is there cognitive awareness there is she actively trying to work against her programming like yeah. all of that stuff and like they spend so much time here with her, you know, relatively speaking, with as, as much as they spend with any other character who isn't Cavill. Mm-hmm. Um, like, kind like they resolve the ambiguity, but in in some ways make it like even like muddier, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because you're just sort of they just sort of like okay, well, she doesn't seem to know or like she has these memory losses, but then we see like the memory lapses and it just, it kind of becomes less believable because we see what happens now, like in those memory lapses, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing like the conversations with Cavill and then she's like sitting there dripping wet and we've like seen what happens after that. And like, I mean, they show little snippets here you know of like mm-hmm. her talking with um uh Cheryl and stuff but like I don't know like for me it just it's kind of disappointing to like go back and see those conversations <laughs> with Cavill where whereas before like you could sort of like like you could guess and you could kind of fill in and say no no I think she's really trying to you know be a good person and not do whatever but like there's right. these like biological urges that are or you know programmed urges that are like making her do these things and she's trying to fight it as much as she can whereas like here it's just right. like it it just kind of undermines that uh that whole thought process with her
1: right um, it it chain it it undermines the kind of compulsive nature of it and changes it more into she's a she's doing all this like it makes the kind of her culpability a lot stronger mm-hmm. and like she really is actively conspiring and sabotaging um right. it's just that Cavill puts her into like this memory trance every so often so she doesn't remember it but yeah it does change the kind of nature of well the and- whole thing And the, I mean, the thing
0: about the ambiguity is because it then sets up Athena, which I feel like if we now, if we, if we know that like Boomer was really in on it and sort of the, you know, being a sleeper agent was just sort of like, yeah, like Cavill's programming or whatever, that makes Athena less believable in a way too, Mm. to me anyway, because if it's like, well, the eights are just kind of different and and can, you know, have someone who goes against their model and kind of, because that, that's Athena first, and then later it's Boomer, right? Like, right? like, Boomer's the one who then, like, votes differently than all the other eights, but, like, Athena is the first one to do that. And so, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I just, I feel like if you go back and, like, explain that and it's like no like she was part of it all the time then it then it kind of becomes like well then she's not really like fighting against anything it's like all just part of the plan i guess
1: right right
0: um which disturbs me because like the plan isn't that good and that well thought out like the internal plan like the
1: well and as you said they don't even really explain well, so the plan. I didn't, what, all they do I didn't do finish is, reading. You know, I didn't if, finish reading, though. Oh, finish. All right. Rerate so, Cavill's Cornwall. So, about so the
0: plan. I'll, I'll, I only got the first sentence out. And then oh. we started talking about Jane Esmond. <laughs> so he says The plan is everything blows up a week ago. All the humans are dead, and we Cylons all download, and the universe basks in justice. Injustice being two words, not injustice. Um, yeah. However,. It didn't fracking happen. And then he kind of goes on more in that same vein. So, but that's not a plan.
1: Right. Like,
0: that's just like a, here's a thing we want to happen. And I guess like, I guess there's a plan to like make that thing happen. But like, that's as much as we get. Of, like, anything actually outlining a plan for what they have. Is that everyone blows up. All humans are dead. And we Cylons all download and the universe passes in just... Like, that's just, like... That's a hope, maybe? A dream? A, it's a, a it's a, result. a wish? Yeah. But, like... But, like, nothing... Like, clearly there's some kind of, like steps you know in place to get you know get like the caprica six into place to put down you know pull down the defense but but like all of these things are it's very half baked at best and like i don't know if that's like like is is the title supposed to be ironic like, are we, like, is this like, we're going to give you the plan, but we're we're kind of doing a wink-wink thing here to show you that, like, oh, one of the flaws is that the Cylons didn't really have that great of a plan. And so, right. then it turns into, because most of the movie is not about that plan, right? Like, if that's the plan, if, if, if Cavill's words here, the plan is everything blows up a week ago. Then the movie isn't actually about the plan, because that was right. like that happens in the first three minutes, right? Of well, or whatever you know, like yeah. of of the film, and then everything else is reactionary to the failure of the plan.
1: Yes, yeah, we're just that's what I was thinking as you were reading that quote is. Yeah, the 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 result of the of the plan was supposed to be everybody blows up a week ago. So the plan is the stuff that comes before that, which we don't see. Um, but I, if, I do think if, there is intent. I do think there is, I, like, from an authorial intent, if I can read their minds a little bit. I think they are trying to go for some of the, of the irony of that. I mean, clearly they they make a lot of reference to the failures of you know, Cylon planning and Cylon intention and behavior. And at one point the one six kind of catalogs all the different failures and everything. And I do think that some of that is, is self deprecating in a kind of supposed to be slightly ironic way of, of, you know, how the Cylons didn't have a plan and, you know, we never really had a plan either. So let's kind of all have a good laugh about how, we never had a plan to begin with, but then I guess if if you're gonna subvert the premise, what are you putting in its place like if 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 the plan isn't the point, then what is the point of the story? you know like yeah th- it feels like I'd like to have some other purpose to telling this story underneath that, if that's not the real reason that we're doing this well and i
0: think that's part of what bothers me is that like because i could see that and i could totally see jane espenson writing something that subverts that idea Mm -hmm. but i don't i think i think the story feels to me like it is kind of taking itself earnestly like that there is an actual plan because like then cavill goes and it's like i'm gonna pull all my cylon brethren and sister and You know, pull them together to, you know, accomplish this goal of wiping out humanity. And again, like, so another aspect that, like, kind of bothers me is that then you get, like, all of these, like, reluctant Cylons, like, from the beginning, like, reluctant Mm -hmm. from the beginning to destroy humanity. And that just doesn't feel right to me either. Like, Like there's a retconning going there going on there that just doesn't that doesn't feel like thirty-three and Mm -hmm. you know Scar and like all of Mm -hmm. like the times that like they're viciously like hunting down and attacking them, like then to have like you know random simon random simon's going around like oh i don't know i'm kind of happy here like i don't love. i don't really yeah, want to yeah. do this or right. or whatever like especially given like how much simon supports Cavill later and like the continued attempts to <laughs> destroy humanity like mm-hmm. that just doesn't feel and it's not just him because there's also the simon who's the doctor on you know for the mm-hmm. caprica Buccaneers and, Mm-hmm. uh like
1: right so, and even the cavil who's with the caprica book and right. you know yeah, yeah so
0: i don't know for me like again like that could be an interesting story of like it's more than just like boomer and athena who kind of break with their models but but that if that's not like just a subversion that's just like we're just going to ignore how the Cylons all act in the series Hmm. (laughs) in like the first and literally the first half of the entire series they're all like gung-ho we're gonna like kill all the humans Mm
1: -hmm.
0: except for these ones over here like Mm they just except for the ones that we didn't show you except for the ones that we want to just kind of throw in here and whatever and by the way all right so like Cavill's, you know, annoyed at Doral for, like, only, like, wearing a different color blazer or whatever. I mean, literally, they're dressed the same, the the two Cavills. Yeah And, like, the Simons are all doctors? Like, you couldn't even, like, think, like, are you at least, like, different types of doctor? Like, is one, like, a dentist and the other, like, you know, an internist or something? Like, I don't, I don't know. It it's right, just right. like and and maybe that's just the Jan Espenson like sort of self aware laughter, like you were saying, like laughing at, at themselves to say like you know, right. compared to the sixes, like you said, that have all the different out outfits, like Doral thinks it's enough to just have like a different color blazer. Mm-hmm. But then like it's completely ignoring the fact that like the Cavils look exactly the same and mm-hmm. The Simons all had the same profession, and you know this mm-hmm. and that. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: So yeah, and and again, like I can see what I think they're trying to like. The I mean the story that they're covering is leading up to new Caprica right that's where it ends is with right with the Cylons give through Cavil, they give their message of retreat or truce or whatever but we're you know and then the the two Cavils are executed and thrown out the airlock and then um next thing that happens in the story is they find new Caprica they settle and then a year later the Cylons show up and it's it's I feel like what they want to be doing is showing the groundwork that paves the way for the kind of we're going to rule with love idea of new Caprica of it's, it's more than like, I, I think the idea is to show the seeds of it as in more than just Boomer and Caprica six, even if they're like the leaders of this new peace and love movement that like there are many Cylons who've had these kinds of thoughts and hesitations of regret for what they've done or who have spent too much time around their human victims and have grown soft and attached and all this stuff. Um, but again, is that new information or, or does it remove some of the kind of mystery of that, to begin with like yeah it doesn't stand on its own really Mm -hmm. um and it over explains the show which did stand on its own and i don't think needed this movie to explain itself Mm -hmm. um If anything, it kind of hinders it. It, like, gives too much information about things that we happily speculated about for dozens of episodes, you know? (laughs) Like, you know, all the things about the Cylon. Because that's what's kind of cool, I think. That's why I, like, downloaded so much as an episode is that for the first two seasons, you don't get the Cylon point of view at all. You know, I mean, you have individual Cylons. You know, I mean, you get Boomer, who, not counting the plan, I think you can almost count as one of the humans just because she believes so strongly and like. Mm-hmm. You, I don't really think of her as representative of the Cylon point of view. Like, she's in a very unique position. Um, and you get like Athena, and you get some stuff with ben where like you hear what their motivations are but you're they're they're mysterious because you're not really getting their point of view it's more like they're telling you and you have to decide whether you believe them or not sure um, there's no real sense until downloaded that the story is being shown through the eyes of the Cylons um but then you get downloaded and you get an episode like that and then suddenly i feel like for seasons three and four it's a mixed thing where you're getting both mm-hmm. sides of the story together where you understand where the silence are coming from where the humans are coming from and it's about blending the two so on the one hand I understand the impulse to then go back and want to show do that same thing but earlier but it takes away the kind of remote threat that the Cylons are for those first two seasons of where it's there, apart from just individuals, they're this, like, shadowy force with completely inscrutable motivation, other than that they just want to kill you, and they're, like, chasing you across the galaxy. Um. So... I simultaneously kind of get what they're trying to do and agree with you that it's a flawed premise. They really shouldn't be trying to do that at all. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think it's the, it's the kind of thing that is a perfectly healthy impulse. That's probably best left (laughs) to like the fanfic writers. Like, like, it's the same thing of what like let's just go retell this story, but from a different character's point of view. But like let the fans do that. Let them. Let them take the first two seasons and play that game at home. I think, um, because when I I think when creators get too over invested in defining what the canon is, all you're really doing is kind of. Closing off windows of possibility. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard this complaint about, like, you know, Pottermore and stuff. Like, at what point should you know J.K. Rowling just say enough is enough? And like, do we really need everything defined? Every well, every character's backstory mapped out in a timeline sure. like is there a kind of over impulse to explain and sort of yeah
0: right right yeah and and i mean with her too, like with the run-up to like the fantastic beast stuff like moving into america where maybe she's not quite as familiar with some of the like Native American tales and stuff and kind of getting things really drastically wrong and, Mm -hmm. and, um, or just even American history in general, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway. So, but we're not here to criticize her per se, but yeah, I mean, no, but I think
1: it's a really similar impulse. Yeah,
0: I I do. And, and it goes, I mean, so maybe in the last few minutes we can even move beyond the plan. And I know we're not like talking about like, Caprica and Blood and Chrome and like that kind of stuff but but I feel like it's the same thing and probably reasons why those failed and and maybe even why a lot of spinoffs do ultimately fail because you're uh, you know of course we're about to talk about a spinoff you know an episode of a spinoff of Buffy in a few minutes here but I feel like one of the reasons why Angel worked really well is because kind of from the beginning they didn't, it didn't try to be anything like Buffy, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it obviously had the same characters, but it was like, it was Angel, the sort of supernatural detective, right? Like right. it wasn't like, oh, we're going to keep telling the same story, but like with someone else and like in a different city or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Right. I think that's a good question to ask when one is, devising a, a spinoff or a sequel is um or a prequel even or whatever you want to call this that like is what you're doing expanding the story or and the world or contracting it you know like are you are you creating new avenues to explore and new possibilities or are you closing down avenues right you know Wait, and that doesn't, that's to... not to say that you can't reuse a character or you know i I don't think it's that black or white, but it's a different spirit. It's a different way to approach something yeah
0: yeah no it's it's the difference between filling in gaps, which is basically what the plan is doing and and yeah, like taking it down like a different road like what mm-hmm. what if we went over here and did this thing, but it's exploring it's actually exploring new territory versus just like. Attempting to plug in, you know, mm-hmm. some holes so, or or even some perceived holes, things that weren't even necessarily holes, because like you said, like a lot of it is just like showing what we've already been told or, or, you know, maybe taken for granted, but like, like things that didn't really need like further explanation and mm-hmm. then like over explaining them um, in a lot of cases. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, we kind of ended up just sort of blending both. Because I I do feel like a lot of the plan, like the diegetic plan, is... Mm. Okay, they put a lot of work into, like, blowing up and attacking the colonies. But then, like, like, I don't get the sense that Cavill has a plan. Right. After that, like, it's not like he's like, okay, I'm going to sit in my room and come up with a new plan that we can execute. It's more like a a lot of it's just reactionary Mm -hmm. and a lot of it's just based on, you know, how much I can do to, like, kill the rest of the humans. And that becomes like. But then there's also like a lot of like. You didn't come see me fast enough, so now you have to blow yourself up. Like that's not mm-hmm. a plan. That's mm-hmm. you're pissed at Simon and like just want to get back at him. Right. Like that's just vindictive jerkiness. Right. Um that so I don't know. And yeah. and that's fine if that's the point, but like again, like I don't know that it's executed that well. So so it reminded me of um a song by the shins uh the young pilgrims where there's a line in there that, uh you know says uh fate isn't what we're up against there's no design no flaws to find um although we're finding plenty of flaws in the plan here it's that idea of like yeah they're actually they're, like it's fine if there's nothing like you know if there isn't a plan if there wasn't an ultimate design but then trying to like sort of go back and fill one in Mm. Just kind of feels a little off, yeah um, to me anyway,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think the premise and calling it the plan, like c- clever subversions aside i I think it the the title promises a certain kind of structural cleverness and like you mm-hmm. know baroque sort of story- storytelling that it just doesn't not, it doesn't even attempt to deliver it because like you said, it's joking about how the plan is shot in the first 10 minutes. Um, You know. So, yeah, it's just um, unfortunately, ultimately a pretty disappointing follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I feel bad, is was probably meant to temper some of the um, perceived, you know, disappointment over the kind of, you know, that, that impulse, that fan impulse to have answers at the end of a show.
0: Mm.
1: Like, you know, it's like, well, if we're going to have a kind of, at times, ambiguous finale, then... Like here's an opportunity to sort of quote give answers, Um, and yet ultimately probably just makes things worse, (laughs) which I think is a case of like the audience not always knowing what exactly what they want, you know? Like sure, and and I think or 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 the or the writers not necessarily knowing how to interpret what you know, the audience is asking for in, in their story. And, and, you know, when they say they want answers, what exactly do they mean by that? Um mm. You know, so here's a bunch of answers that nobody was really clamoring for. Right. Um, right. So. Yeah. Oh, anyway,
0: uh, you know, structurally, like we meant, we kind of mentioned Real quick, that they use like footage from like the original miniseries and like the first couple of seasons and then sort of interleave it with new one. I think part of it for me too is that like so- some of the people aged that four years of the show better mm-hmm. than others. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, so Trisha Helfer looks pretty much the same today as she did. You know when the series started. Right. The wig is slightly different. But other than that. And like that's so like there's no difference there. And like we see her in enough sort of different yeah, costumes and stuff that like not costumes but like outfits or whatever that like you're used to kind of seeing her in different roles anyway. But like like Tyrell is noticeably different. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Even though it's like trying to pass him off as like the same age as like Tiro four years ago, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, some of that's whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Like, some isn't of that, that works like, better than others, I mean, yeah. none of it, none of it's bad as young Adama and young Ty. <laughs> so like,
1: are your new shipping Billadama? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So I mean, I mean, at least it's not that. But like. There is yeah. there is some of that going on too, where where you're kind of like, right, maybe a little more pulled out than than you'd like to be. Um,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But but speaking of your friend Eddie, um, I did note one quote um, that I pulled off of I don't know, Wikipedia or somewhere. Um, is he said uh, when Battlestar fans see the plan, they're all going to have to go back and watch the entire series again. And my <laughs> response to that was. Yeah, because the movie makes no sense, and so <laughs> they have to go back and rewatch the series for like a palate cleanser. And,
1: and remind to, themselves, yeah, of, like, yeah, yeah,
0: like this is what actual good b s g is like. But anyway, no, again, like, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in my, you know, defecating all over it mode. But there, there are some decent points. I think. Uh, it's worth watching once, and um, I've done that now, so. Yes. We can move on.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Um,
0: <laughs> so with that said, of a
1: disappointing note to end. But I, it, then you know what? It on the other, hand, it, it's. Go ahead. But but I'm glad that we. I'm glad that we separated it out from the series though, because it's not like there's no relationship to the series. Clearly there is, you know, but in another way, it's really not, you know, it was, it was a separate thing. It was an afterthought. Um, and I don't think it, it enhances the experience of the series really, um, to, when I go back and rewatch the series having seen The Plan before now, I'm not thinking about The Plan as I'm watching it. <laughs> like, I'm not thinking, oh, you know, what this, you know, Leoban's right around that corner. You know, like, um, <laughs> sure. whereas you do that, like, so a classic example of something like that is like, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where like, not everybody who sees Hamlet, but, like, enough people now who know and love Hamlet will make reference to, like, kind of joking and giggling about the fact that when Polonius gets killed, they're, like, really behind the curtain the whole time. You just can't see them. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you kind of have fun playing that game of, oh, where are they? Um, I can't. I can't think of any times during our rewatch where I was thinking oh, I can't wait to talk about the plan when we realize what was really going on in this scene the whole time. Like, it just doesn't... It's not a seamless fit. Um, and, like, some of them, I a few of them, like, I actively try not to think about. Like, <laughs> for me, this kind of actually ruins the Shelley Godfrey thing of having seen the end of the show, I kind of liked, just as a head canon, I kind of liked the idea that she was head six, kind of manifested, and that just sort of made herself appear to everybody else. Because by the end, you kind of know she has maybe more control over who can see her and when. Um, Or at least it hints at that. And then I liked the idea that maybe Shelley was a manipulation of head six and that's why she sort of can disappear from the ship at the end of the episode and then here it's like well no it's just another six who got thrown out an airlock and there's another six who stuck on a blonde wig to pretend to be her and it's just like that's so much less fun but anyway i went down another digression we yeah. can
0: we can, we can we can wrap the, it up put now. Put this one to bed.
1: Put the plan to bed.
0: Cool. Oh. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's uh talk about some angel.
1: Yeah. Talk about a spinoff that actually worked. Um I wanna start with the Cordy plot. Um Cordy slash the Beastmaster, which we're stealing from Angelus, lacking a a, a better name for whatever it is that Cordy is. Um,
0: Assuming she's not Cordy.
1: It doesn't seem to be. No. I mean, I'm still... We're still not getting a lot of, like... Or is
0: maybe, like, Cordy Plus or something, like...
1: Sure. The Cordy Possessed or... Yeah yeah or Cordy, under the influence of something potentially um but not the pure you know lovable old Cordy that we've spent so many years and seasons with um and we do get some new information, sort of not really information about who or what she is, but like things that we just kind of happen to learn throughout the course of the episode. Um, I guess most importantly being, I got a much stronger sense of her omniscience Mm. and omnipresence, Um, or at least potentially. It's, you know, I'm kind of keeping the, the door open for there to be for it to be you know more complicated than it appears you know like clearly this voice that speaks to angel wants to appear omniscient like that's the way it speaks of itself is i know everything i hear everything i know where you are and what you're doing and i'm in complete control like that's the image that it's wanting to present which of course it would and so we can kind of be at liberty to Take that with a grain of salt. But on the other hand, like, it does seem to have a certain level of knowledge. The fact that, like, it is this disembodied voice that seems to know where Angel is at any given time and can speak to him and sort of follow around. I don't think we've really seen that before. Like, the only hint we saw was Cordy meeting up with the beast, right? But we didn't necessarily. This is the first we're seeing of Cordy in her bedroom, knowing everything that's going on somewhere else. Mm. Um, or, am I wrong? I think that's like a new kind of piece of knowledge to add to our data bank here.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's right.
1: Um... And, I mean, in terms of what it wants, it's kind of more of the same. I don't feel like, like, I guess what I felt like I am more had a better sense of was its powers and its abilities. But it's more of a continuation of this recruitment of Angelus for whatever its sort of, its plan is. If it has a plan. Yeah. I don't know how well thought out its plan is. Um, but, you know, it, so, you know, the voice says, playtime's over, you killed my favorite pet. I've had my eyes on you for some time. We'll meet when you're ready. Um, kind of a little bit bothered by the death of the beast, but kind of not really. Like, that seems like kind of an annoyance, but not really something that is deterring it from having... Angelus on its side. Or, like, the Beast was a kind of useful minion or a means to an end, but not really the ultimate purpose. Like, you know, Angelus seems like more the the person that the voice is trying to recruit at this point than the Beast really was. Even though we saw Cordy kind of getting frisky with the Beast, it doesn't really seem... You know, that devastated that the beast is gone. Like, other than a few lines of chastising Angelus. That's kind of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, I think you can sort of working backwards now, like, you can see, like, the whole point. Like, it was like, what, you know, what is it that could. You know, prompt Angel to become Angelus again. You know to fight it's like there. You know if if there's a try trying to state without giving spoilers or any kind of thing. Like if if there's a sense of like something bigger going on here. Like if this is not Cordy, and maybe there's there's like there if there is a bigger plan going on you could see like working through the details of like this is you know you need something so bad that it would like prompt angel to want to become angelus again mm-hmm. with like now looking back and seeing like cordy helping to sort of manipulate situations into. You know, maybe suggesting or or encouraging the idea that like only Angelus would be strong enough to like defeat the beast, um, or if not strong enough, like wily enough or whatever, because like that kind of it, right? Like the whole thing is like he basically uses faith as bait and then like stabs the beast in the back, right? Mm-hmm. Like it kind of is true that like Angelus is the only one who sort of mean, you know. Mm -hmm. he's he's the bad bad Leroy Brown of like the vampire world right Mm -hmm. um and so yeah like what is it about Angelus like we don't necessarily know like he did defeat the beast so on one sense like he's he's better there and we've all obviously always heard about how destructive and evil he is but there's also definitely a uh anarchical side to him maybe like the whole like if anyone has a plan then you know it's me and I follow my own plan and
1: mm-hmm. that
0: kind of thing but at the same time the beast master is able to sort of manipulate him into doing its will here so right uh there does yeah, seem to then, be a sense yeah. of, like, that was that was sort of the goal all along. but And, you know, uh, we're at, you know, episode 14 of 22, so, like, if we're looking at, like, you know, a third act of a three-act play, like, we're just kind of starting on that road here, right, as much as that might mm-hmm. apply to, like, a seasonal arc, like... We're coming down we're not quite at the home stretch, but like we can see the home stretch. Mm-hmm. And so like if we have the Angelus sort of now actively working for the Beastmaster and by the end of the episode, like potentially taking out the Slayer, like what's what's gonna happen here? You know, like mm-hmm. how much worse are things gonna get and how are they gonna sort of resolve them i guess at this point
1: yeah but
0: not i didn't mean to necessarily jump to the end of the episode there with all that no but just, no just kind of saying like that like that progression like you can definitely see like all that to say that like yes i think i agree with you that like like the beast was sort of a good blunt instrument but like now like angelus is actually like cunning and you know thoughtful and can do stuff and like mm-hmm there's perhaps a reason so and then just from a symbolic or a parallel i guess when cordy left like it was so that you know it was when she and angel were about to like admit their love for each other and Mm. you know who knows what would have happened at that point but like Not that Angelus knows it yet, but like now you have like evil Cordy and evil Angel Hmm. kind of together, right? So,
1: yeah, interesting.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, no, that 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 twist hadn't really occurred to me in those terms, but that's kind of a neat parallel. Um, there, de- there was definitely stuff that reminded me of the beginning of the season in this episode. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to pull the exact lines out, but like references to um, Angelus, you know, the threats about, you know, I'll, I'll leave you buried forever. Like, I'll return your soul, and you know, you'll be sort of, the, you know, describing the torment of Angelus being awake but unable to affect any change or have any control over his situation and the kind of hell of living buried deep down within Angel Mm -hmm. kind of reminded me of Angel's situation at the beginning of the season where he's sort of buried under the ocean and like the kind of torment of of that situation. Um, So there were certain things that were kind of prompting me to think back to the beginning um or the end of the previous season i guess yeah and the extent to which the Beastmaster master is you know a- affecting a larger plan is interesting because there are lines in there about um she says destruction sometimes is its own reward and angela says you're talking to the guy who ate the choir so which is a funny line but um so there's some kind of idea that they're potentially kindred spirits in the sense of being agents of chaos and not necessarily having, not that they don't have plans. They're manipulative and they're wily, like you said, but they don't, they're not necessarily doing it for a purpose or to, for in the service of any big idea. It's just right. for the the sheer pleasure of
0: right. It's for their the own sort of, yeah pleasure and but then
1: but then that doesn't necessarily seem to be true because you know the like you said potentially the beast was just a ploy to get angelus so there's this sort of long game this long con going on which implies like a, a a higher goal um and if the beast which was like raining hellfire and eternal darkness wasn't destructive enough then like what's beyond that what's worse than that Mm. um you know is is a question that I have like if the beast is only a minor step on the way to a bigger plan like all right well what would that be um I don't think it's this it, it it was it's just occurring to me to wonder if there's any potential crossover with Buffy here in terms of, you know, mm. the ultimate sort of apocalyptic scenario? Like, is there any sort of... Not that the the Beastmaster is the first necessarily, but is there any sort of common alliance or goals here? Um, I don't... That's not... I... I wouldn't... I don't think so, but... Um, I mean But that certainly would um check the bigger and worse than the beast box. Um Sure. Potentially. I mean and, and and sorry, go ahead. Well, so we talked in the last episode about the the little reference to the assassin trying to take out Faith right. and how yes. that's so that's kind of what's making me think of it here of having Angelus versus faith certainly would take faith out of the game for the ultimate conflict with the first and and this is this is could be the loss of like a major ally, so you know in that fight and everything
0: so do you think like just going down that road would it be like <coughs> excuse me um like maybe cordy is under the influence of the first as we've seen other characters
1: become. Um
0: Or do you think or or is there I don't a think it's
1: thing? I don't think it's in the same way as some of the other well we've seen her touch people, right? This is what we learned from Giles. So Right.
0: Like it's it's not She's Cordy not isn't disembodied, like a manifestation right. of the first.
1: But I could see her being under the influence of something in the first camp you know like something in league with the first i mean i guess beyond just the simple fact of like aren't all the bad guys really in league with each other in some sense but like sure i guess something a little more organized kills
0: bad guys but right. right
1: right yeah something a little more organized than that that's like maybe this is i don't know I don't know. I was going to say like this is the lieutenant in charge of like the LA contingent like mm. like w- and your main kind of action items are take out faith, bring back angelus, destroy the city, you know, uh cripple angel investigations, yeah. you know. Or
0: um, or maybe even just distract them so that like they can't help Buffy. Sure. Them. Right. Uh, Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. My sense is that it's not necessarily that, that little episode with Faith and the assassin was such a kind of under the radar reference that I don't think it's leading towards like a huge crossover, but I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that too much until you were, talking about some of this stuff so it's just sort of occurring to me now
0: yeah sure um
1: hmm.
0: yeah i i Um, would keep an open mind about the possibility of a crossover with buffy it it hasn't happened in a while but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen uh uh-huh throwing that out there um all right any other so we kind of talked about cordy and the voice and possible you know things or entities that she might be uh anything else with her in particular or
1: or sort um, of like
0: her, and her, at least in her relationship to Angel, uh, Angelus?
1: Well, I think I mentioned it, but just to kind of bring home the point of showing that she has the soul. Which, as soon as we saw that this was evil Cordy, we probably could have guessed did we that see she it?
0: was... Did we see it, or did we just have it on authority?
1: She's holding it.
0: She's just holding it. I couldn't remember when
1: she's when she's sort of interfacing on the bed. Yeah, she's holding, unless it's a very similar looking jar with a swirling mist inside. I couldn't. It, it I seems couldn't remember. To be, yeah. No, she. I think she is shown to be holding it. Um, Fair enough. So, um, which I think again we already kind of guessed that based on how she was acting. Like, oh yeah, this all went missing. Like, she was a good candidate for that, but um right. but showing that and then that that's her leverage to you know get him to do what she wants. This threat of, you know, burying him alive again. Um so yeah. Um I wanna talk a few minutes about her and Connor. Um mm. and actually I'm gonna immediately contradict Some of the stuff I was saying about her sort of omniscience, because the first note I have is is of her getting him to spy for her, you know, like sending him downstairs and saying, I'd feel a lot better if I knew what was going on. And then seemingly using information about what Wesley and Faith are up to to, like, get Angel to ambush them. So how omniscient is she really?
0: Um, Or is she just getting Connor out of the way because he's being annoying? Or that. But, yeah, I I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily, like, I don't know that I would describe her as, like, omniscient. Right. She does seem to be able to track like Angelus. Okay. And so maybe there's like a way that she can do that in particular, right? Like but I don't I don't know that I would equate that to like she can see anything and everything all at once. Right. Right, like
1: Right. Yeah, so okay, so there's some sort of psychic link with Angelus. Well, that-
0: I, I don't I mean, I don't I don't even know like like this isn't even like I can spoil it because I honestly don't know or remember like what Mm -hmm. I mean maybe it's a magic spell and maybe it's like a locator spell that she could do for anyone but is like using it on Angelus or something you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like like I don't know that it's necessarily so formal or uh, strong as a specifically psychic link with him either. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go too broad, and I don't want to go too narrow (laughs) with it. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, like there's some way that she's able to track Angelus, but I, but I don't know that we need to like say that that's either only Angelus. Like maybe she could track other people, but like maybe she, she, there's a limit to how many she can track at once or what she can know about whatever. At the same token, like I don't think that can be equated to like she can do everything and like track all people and all things. No. So, so maybe there's a valid reason to have Connor go downstairs, or maybe she's just sick of him and wants him out of her room, and this is how she gets him to do stuff for her.
1: Sure. Yeah. Or 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 wants to check in on Angel and doesn't want him there to kind of be in the way or be suspicious. or whatever. Right. Um, right. For
0: whatever reason, she just doesn't yeah. want him around. Right.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I do think the line I'd feel better if I knew everything that was happening is a bit pointed in the sense of, okay, so she doesn't know everything. She doesn't know what's going on downstairs, um, but it, it's ambiguous. And so I think like we can kind of keep an eye on, that exactly what she knows and when and how um, I think is kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. but um with Connor, you know, the the manipulation continues in terms of getting him on board with this pregnancy, which on the one hand, he's kind of into and kind of you know, immediately protective of her and, you know, paternal and wants to keep them safe and everything. But on the other hand, like, I think he was clearly a bit disturbed by in the previous episode. And, you know, and again, he's sort of wanting to tell the others here and she's not letting him. Um, Which, you know, seems like, would be a tip off that, you know, you might want to go do that Connor. Um, Hmm. but you know, he's easily sort of influenced in this area. It's not like he really knows what he's doing. so she kind of says it with authority and he takes her at her word that, you know, they wouldn't understand and it's not a good time. Um,
0: nobody understands our love.
1: No. Um, No, and and there's some... She kind of plays on his feeling of victimhood, of of saying, well, they would want to kill it, sort of like, you know, they want to kill you and everything, that, like, you know, this baby is going to be threatened because of the kind of bizarre nature of its birth. And that's not its fault, so Mm -hmm. it's our job to protect it from Mm -hmm. these callous people downstairs who don't understand
0: well and um interesting like okay so a couple things so one you know she says like right our baby is growing so fast it would scare them and that fear might make them want to kill it like they wanted to kill you um but trust me it won't be long they're all gonna know what's growing inside of me like that's a weird right. way to phrase that
1: yeah, it's not a baby, right?
0: <laughs> like well it like, maybe a baby. Is it a human baby?
1: Well, right. Like that's my yeah, what's growing inside what do you mean what? Yeah, yeah. they're
0: they're all gonna know what's growing inside of me.
1: Yes. Um, um and like right,
0: right. Yeah, there's enough red flags there that Connor should be like perking his ears up and maybe just sure. wanna mention like, hey guys, Cordy's uh belly area has gotten a little bigger.
1: Yeah,
0: like Cordy's um, really you know, fast, eight,
1: eight months present pregnant overnight. Yeah, yeah, um, which
0: is not the first time that that's happened either.
1: Um, no, not that no.
0: Connor necessarily knows that, but right, others who like maybe were around then would be like, Oh, yeah, hmm, let's look into this. This um, is not normal. Um, you, so the other thing I'll just throw out there is how so if. Well, okay, so a couple. So, how how much should we trust Cordy when she says it's Connor's baby? Not at all. I mean, I mean, it
1: could be. It could be. It could, we saw that it absolutely them. could be, but I don't think we have any reason to trust a single thing that she says.
0: Yeah, know? like obviously we we and Angel saw them doing what they right. were doing. And so, yeah, like, it's not impossible, for sure. On the other hand, you mentioned she was getting a little frisky with the Beast. Like, Mm -hmm. did other things happen off screen? Uh, Or is there something else going on? You know, I mean, if she's not Cordy and is some kind of uh, other presence, like, maybe... Maybe there's even a bit of a, I don't know how sacrilegious it would be to call it like a virgin birth or something. I mean, she's not virgin, mm-hmm. but like, a, you know,
1: right. miraculous immaculate, birth, Immaculate, immaculate con- conception. Um, um, yeah. And was the, I mean, as soon as they started introducing this kind of evil Cordy storyline, we kind of were joking about, oh, oh they're going to retcon Cordy and Connor out of, like, they were never really together, right? But, like, I think that's kind of true. And, like, was potentially, like, if it wasn't Courtney all along, was her being with Connor, you know, purely manipulative from the start in order to make him think that he is the father? Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, and so then... Which
1: actually seems quite likely. Either I mean, it certainly seems like... It was a manipulation either to get him to sleep with her and impregnate her or to just trick him into thinking that he is the father. Right. To give
0: some sort of plausibility. to.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, I mean, the other thing is, is. Connor is stopped by the demon violence shield thing. Right. Implying that he's not. Fully human in some way, mm-hmm. and you get right. that. So, I, so a couple. I mean, one, his whole like looking in the mirror to see if he has vampire teeth. Well, if you were a vampire, you wouldn't see yourself in the mirror, first of all. Right. Um, but also, uh, the, that that another like sort of weird phrasing is when, uh, you know, he says, "I'm not a demon." And then Cordy says, "I am," mm-hmm. or at least, I'm half demon, right? Like, right. there's that like pause of like, like yeah. is is this like her remembering her lines, like, you know, re- like try- did she break character there for a moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and right. and admit like that maybe she's not at all human, maybe this is completely, mm-hmm. you know, demonic presence, or is or was it like. No, she just needed to explain more what she was talking
1: about. Hmm. Or, again, that, that playing with, you know, like, intentionally slipping up in front of him but enjoying the fact that he doesn't realize what she's saying, you know, like... Sure. Kind of reveling in the double entendre of it. That's another possibility that only just occurred to me now is that this has something to do with the demon side of Cordy. You know, like... That this is really Cordy, but maybe the demon is, like, the demon part of her is out of control. Mm. Um, like, there's been some sort of change in behavior as a consequence of that.
0: Possibly. Yeah, We. I mean, like, we never learned much about that before she ascended.
1: No. No. So, yeah, just another kind of Avenue that just sort of occurred to me. Um. Anything else with uh with Connor or or Cordy and Connor together?
0: No, I think I think that's it. Um. Just, so just from a production production perspective, too. Of course, this is this is how we get uh the writers. Um. Incorporating uh, Charisma Carpenter's actual pregnancy into right in, into the storyline, right? So, um. Yeah. We'll we'll. I won't go further than that at this point. But um. There was there was knowledge about her, you know, having become pregnant kind of between seasons or whatever, I guess. And and so like, you know, the first however many episodes, like, she's not really showing or whatever. But mm-hmm. now this is like, okay, we need to figure out a way to sort of incorporate that. So this is one of those okay things that uh that they did.
1: Yeah.
0: Charisma so sorry, I don't know how much you know um about this, but it's not directly tied, in, and I'll try not to give any spoilers or anything. But there's a somewhat famous, you know, within Buffy circles or whatever, um, it's somewhat famous or, or infamous, you might say, about Cordy, or uh, sorry, Charisma, becoming pregnant and Whedon's feelings about that and and sort of what happens there so Mm -hmm. um i won't go into any details but we'll we'll at some point in the future talk about that as a point of contention from a production sort of standpoint um
1: yeah we touched on it a little bit when we um did our kind of episode on diversity and and whedon's mm -hmm. problematic behavior you know that came out more recently,
0: yeah,
1: um, but that was kind of before we got into this season, so I'd like to definitely revisit that because I think it'll be easier for me to understand and remember once I've seen the the story, and we can kind of sure talk about how it all goes and and you can feel freer to explain things without needing to hold back for spoilers and that sort of thing right. um so yeah, let's remember to come. Back around to that, um, um, I didn't. Now that you mention it, I do remember you bringing up the pregnancy. Although I wasn't even really thinking about it when I was yeah. watching the well, episodes, and
0: and I mean, given that we just had last season, you know, like Darla's pregnancy kind of in the beginning of the season before connor right like this is a pretty standard
1: storyline yeah it it is
0: but it's also like from a writer's perspective they weren't necessarily looking to revisit (laughs) like demon pregnancy so soon (laughs) um if if we're looking at that but um so just this is kind of their way of incorporating her her pregnancy into the story um and all
1: of that but yeah anyway
0: yeah we can we can talk more on that at a later date
1: yeah um all right i want to move on to faith and wesley um Mm -hmm. and their storyline uh and actually the first thing i kind of want to bring up is kind of on that theme of sort of gender issues and stuff um i don't know whether this you know gives you this impression or not but when in the first kind of scene where she is taking the shower and sort of cleaning herself up after the fight. Um, it's not like there's no blood and violence in Buffy, but that definitely felt more explicit and graphic to me than than I think we've sort of seen. Um, and even the way, like, I don't know, her reaction of, like, getting in the shower and seeing, like, you know, sort of the blood running off of her and sort of her anger and everything felt to me very much like, I don't know if we're edging into metaphor territory of, like, abuse. You know, like, mm-hmm. just the, I don't know, the way it was shot, the, the, I don't know, the, there's something different to me about the way it's presented. And again, now that we've never seen characters in Buffy and Angel get beat up and have, you know, cuts and bruises and that sort of thing. Um, but I felt like it very much emphasized Faith's sort of physical trauma and the kind of violation of it and and her yeah. kind of, her discomfort with the kind of wanting to, like, accept Wesley's help in, right. in sort of patching her up and, um, you know, and, and kind of, like... Yeah reveling in the 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 shower and you know all that kind of thing, like just the imagery evokes a certain kind of thing that um yeah is is a slightly different way of looking at the slayer, I think
0: no, for sure, and I mean I wonder how much of that is the fact that Angelus is the one who killed the beast as as much as as much as her getting beat up and not being able to to kill the beast. And Angelus doing it for her. But then also like yeah. the almost uh, you know, she was definitely too weak to have fought Angel at that point, right? But then she like breaks the window and is able to sort of like sit in a Bath of sunlight, so to speak, Um, and then Wesley apparently comes and rescues her, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think we actually we don't see that, right? We don't see Wesley coming at the end of the last episode, or do we?
1: Because like she breaks the
0: window and then she's like in the sunlight and then Angel kind of goes off, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of where it ends.
0: I think that's what I thought, and so here now, like presumably Wesley like came and found her and got her out of there and brought her back to his apartment right so there's definitely i definitely agree like there seems to be a psychological trauma there and it and i think yeah like you i mean it's not really domestic abuse right like but there's definitely like the abuse component there like the literal beating up aspect of it but i feel like and maybe this is just repeating what you're saying so sorry if it's just reiteration but like definitely in like movies and tv the like like the only thing she doesn't do and maybe this is a subversion of the trope or whatever the only thing she doesn't do is like sit down in the shower and start crying right mm-hmm. like right. but i feel like that's that's definitely a whether physical or mental or whatever like like that it's like that cathartic like getting in a shower and letting everything wash away and like having a good cry and like
1: whatever mm-hmm. is
0: more associated with psychological trauma mm-hmm. than physical. Although like the physical might also be there. It, it It feels to me like that's generally more used in sort of the psychological trauma aspect mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. it. And, and so I guess just, my take on it is, is that, that it's, that there's something there, whether it's that she wasn't able to kill the beast or that she came so close to becoming a victim of angel or all of the above, or even the having to be rescued by Wesley of all people, (laughs) like, you know, which kind of, they get into later, like, obviously they have a history. And so, Mm -hmm. um, You know, and, yeah, again, like, maybe it's all of the above or, you know, some mix and match of those things. But, yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you, like, and it's not like, because, like, we've even had, I think, in Angel, like, the shower scenes that are, like, or, you know, bath scenes, not many, but, like, that are maybe slightly more titillating, at least as titillating as you can get on, you know. TV, but like Mm -hmm. this is definitely not that it's like the like the the achy like you know taking off her clothes and sort of like gingerly (laughs) stepping into the shower like there's clearly Mm -hmm. like pain and and whatever there and but then like instead of the like the sitting down and crying you know in the back of the shower or whatever it's it's the getting angry and the punching right you know Right, and
1: yeah, you definitely get her frustration with the way that whole thing went down. Um, Yeah, and I guess even if it's not making, it's not necessarily saying she's in an abusive relationship, just the imagery, like like you're saying, that connects you to all the movies and shows that you've seen that have done scenes like this, Mm -hmm. I think kind of subliminally... Connects you in that direction right. to think about those other stories and um, to make some parallels there for the character. Um, so, yeah, and definitely like the physical toll is emphasized, but with Faith, it's very much about the psychological mm-hmm. trauma of it and her own, you know, demons that she's still continuing to wrestle with and everything. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess then to kind of talk, let's talk a little bit more about the Faith-Wesley dynamic. Because um, they kind of got along last episode, but, like, all right, it's at, it's episode two of their partnership, and clearly they're not as over their issues as they right. might have s- seemed, you know, last week. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it, it was very straightforward last week, right? Yeah, Like, it was right, like... Right find the beasts, track them down and kill them. Like now right. it's a little more I mean, it's fine Angelus, but like right. There's a lot right. more like Right. Angelus,
1: but can we
0: investigate Can we capture
1: Angelus, you know?
0: Right, right. Like, there's a lot it's a lot more complicated than just like find and pummel, right? Like there's right. there's a and it's and, hard, and, and, after and
1: harder and after getting her butt kicked i think the question is can she do it too like right even if she does find him and does hold herself like you know to these standards of capture don't kill and everything is is she even able is she up to the task of taking him down
0: yeah yeah that's um yeah
1: and you know wesley wanted her to So last week he definitely recruited her for the reason of she wouldn't kill him. Like, you know, but here he's kind of encouraging her to go further and saying you need to get back to that damaged roots of who you were if you're going to take him down. Like Mm. this holding back and kind of, altruistic attitude that she has isn't what we need right now um you know like the the scene where he calls her all sorts of names and provokes her into getting angry at him just to kind of show him like all right you're still capable of this it's still inside you um i guess the more maybe a little more interesting is the flip then of what's inside Wesley. Right. Cause kind of at this point he's scarier than she is. Um, you know, like he's the one who's like, right. Volatile and willing to well, cross ethical lines. And, um, yeah,
0: I, I don't know that I quite agree with volatile, but certainly, yeah, certainly crossing the ethical lines and um, detached, I think. Yeah, right. You know, where, like, even though he's bringing up, like, how she tortured him, I almost get the sense that, like, he actually doesn't care about that. And not not that he doesn't care. Like, I'm sure he would have rather not have been tortured. But like, mm-hmm. like he's not. I don't think he's bringing it up because he's like got a beef to resolve with her. I think he's bringing it up precisely to egg her on, mm-hmm. and and you know that whole like the callousness and and the you know, prompting her to get a reaction and stuff. Cause he ends all of that with, it's what you need to beat him. Like when Mm. she finally Mm -hmm. does react, when she finally, you know, does say like, you know, this is like, she's trying to say like, I'm not going to hurt you again. And he's kind of saying like, but you need to be willing to. right? Right. I mean, that was sort of what the face off with, Angelus outside the hotel is about and she doesn't do it and he gets away like now he's saying like you need to be able to hurt me in order to like get him and that's you know it's more important in a way because he you know without getting him he'll go out and hurt so many more people. Mm hmm. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have a lot else to add to that. I think there's been a, a, you know, a kind of interesting reversal of their situations, which is kind of fascinating given how diametrically opposed they were when they first started. Um, It's kind of wild to see them, like, have met in the middle and even kind of crossed over the fence in that way. Well, Um, and, and,
0: I mean, so is Wesley actually acting like her watcher at this point? Or is it, like, is he so completely off base that, like, it's not even kind of what that should be either? Like... I don't. I don't know. Like I'm. I've been. I was trying to sort out my thoughts mm-hmm. there when I was watching it the second time. Of like he. In some ways, he's kind of acting like her watcher now. Yeah. But yeah. but there's also like. While we know that Giles can. Take care of himself. Like, you also don't see Giles like stabbing a drugged human. In a you know vampire problem, right, like sure, that seems like beyond like the worst thing he did was kill Ben, probably right, like
1: that's what I was just thinking of,
0: but like is yeah. that is that quite the same as like the 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 woman that Wesley stabs, and okay, so he made sure he didn't hit any major arteries, well, that's. Nice, I guess. But like, she she's has she's innocent in a way that like Ben wasn't totally. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel like there's even that has like shades of difference in in how they they could be portrayed. But I don't. I mean, whatever.
1: Yeah. Although, although you know Giles. Like, I guess even though Ben isn't innocent, he does kill him. Whereas, like, Wesley, so far, you know, doesn't Holy go stags. that far. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think there's a similar... I, I mean, I think Wesley is indulging in this kind of dark mystique, you know, behavior in a way that Giles, we haven't really seen, like, embrace well, this, you know. And maybe but, that's... Like, Maybe but there's a potential. There's a potential for it. There's there's we've seen in Giles sure. moments where he can be ruthless if he wants to be. Um, but I think Wesley's obviously sure. gone further down that road. But I think he like the the watcher point is good. Like he is mentoring Faith in a particular way of, or at
0: least he, leading her right,
1: like, right, right, guiding her along. Yeah, the, the kind of slayer that she needs I, to be.
0: I guess the, the one last point though about the difference I sort of see between Wesley and Giles is that like okay yes like maybe so Giles killed Ben which to kill Glory and so like we can argue about the level of innocence that Ben had and like but you're right like he killed him versus merely stabbing him in the shoulder. On the other hand, you get the sense that like, that was a one-time thing for Giles or like,
1: right, yes, you know, whatever.
0: Right. Whereas like with Wesley, you kind of get the sense that like, he's probably stabbed some other people in the shoulder and maybe not that long ago.
1: Right. And that's, yeah, that's what I was kind of trying to put my finger on is with Giles, you see the potential for it with Wesley. You feel like, the potential is becoming a reality for him. Like he's starting to act this way, Mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah. I don't, I mean,
0: I don't know if you want to talk about the big fight, like, like a lot of action. I don't know that there's a ton to say there. There's a lot of banter between sure faith and angelus um
1: yeah um yeah i don't know that there's i mean the the cliffhanger ending is obviously you know like worth mentioning but as it's a cliffhanger you know there's not a ton to say other than we'll find out next week what exactly tune in next week tune in next time um So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think it's kind of standard and jealous taunting, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, just kind of egging her on and, and provoking her and picking at her sore spots and everything, which is
0: what he does. Yeah. I I don't know that we like learn anything new. Plot or like information wise, and like certainly there's nothing out of character for either of these two. Like, no, it's a lot of jumping around on scaffolding and you know, yeah, beating each yeah. other up.
1: Yep, yep. Um, moments where each of them get a little cocky, you know, sure. and the other one kind of one ups them, but again, I don't think that's out of character necessarily. Um, so yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to follow up and see where that cliffhanger goes next time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so in the last couple minutes, let's just finish up with Fred and Gunn and uh, and and the dash of Lorne that we <laughs> have here. Yeah. Um, so Fred has this, like kind of identity crisis after she's, you know, Fred the Brain, who's the smartest one around, gets sort of duped by Angelus and his fake maiden, maiden Taiwan medallion or whatever he has. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, beats herself up for it, at which you, on the one hand, you you can't blame her. On the other hand, you know that anybody would do the same in her position. Um, And yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else to say about that situation. Um, Yeah,
0: I mean, honestly, I don't have a ton to say about and Gunn, and Lauren in general. I think yeah, like
1: there's some little hints of them wanting to reconnect, but Sure. They, don't, they don't really get to go anywhere quite yet, so. No. Um, I guess we can kind of just keep an eye on that and see where that goes yeah. in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Lauren gets hit with a trank gun.
1: Yes. Knocked out.
0: Um, yeah, one-
1: Lauren's kind of becoming a little bit of the Giles, isn't he? Of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of getting, like, knocked out a lot.
0: One of then. these days you're going to wake up in a coma yeah Uh, (laughs) um one one note though um not about lauren per se but about andy hallett who plays lauren uh is this is his 40th appearance in an episode i think that that's what wikipedia says after 40 guest appearances uh he is actually billed in the opening credits and is now part of the cast.
1: I noticed that, and then I thought, wait a minute, did that happen before, and I just didn't notice? No. So this is the first one.
0: This is his first one, which goes to question, should we be happy for him, or does that bode ill for Lauren?
1: Oh, sure. (laughs) Oh, no, it didn't even occur to me. I won't
0: say that, but, you know. You know what happened Especially
1: because it's such a random episode. You know so what in happened? The middle to... of a season, it doesn't like feature him particularly. It's just like, no, he's like I find I find it really ridiculous to call someone a guest star when they're in every episode right. of a given season. Like, and, come on. Just give the guy give the guy his check.
0: We we know what happened to Amber Benson. Um, That's
1: what um worried now
0: so i won't that
1: didn't, I, I didn't i didn't worry it. Me until you said that i
0: won't spoil it i mean we do know that like he can be decapitated and still live so like this is true if something happens true. to him it's got to be pretty bad right. which may not make you feel better no <laughs> but uh i will i will just point out that uh yeah that that this is his first uh actual appearance in the opening credits as uh, uh one of the main cast
1: Mm
0: -hmm. which is good i like
1: very cool yes no i'm I'm it's about time that's all i have to say about that
0: cool well so um next time we are we've got a new show well we're going back to an old show right yeah with doctor who Back to um, Doctor Who, and we're gonna be doing. So we'll be doing the uh, 2016, not the most recent one, but the 2016 Christmas movie.
1: Yes, and
0: uh, or Christmas special, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. The
0: The return of Doctor Mysterio. Yes. Um. So yeah, we'll be back with that, and we'll be back with. So so these there you know we had um. The last Buffy episode was storyteller, right? The the um, Andrew sort of narrated episode. Um, yep. And then we had you know last week's salvage release, and then next week we have Orpheus, and so these three do kind of make up a three part series. So I won't tell mm-hmm. you what gets resolved or changed, um, but there's you know it's sort of a title. three it's a three part arc uh so to speak so we can we can uh we can talk about that then and uh yeah and and, and back with some Doctor Who. I I feel like I should go back and rewatch like season nine again before sure. before we talk about the Christmas special here. Because yeah. like I don't yeah. I, I mean I re sort of remember it but it's yeah. been a little while now. And I like that's not I'm not used to that with doctor who like when we right. talked about it before it was, I was kind of watching it new. Right. It was so, very fresh. Yeah. Um.
1: Um.
0: Yeah. Anyway. That, well, yeah. I no, don't know that I'll have time to binge watch the the entire season between now no. and next week, but.
1: Um, no, but, but, but I'll, I'll throw in some context and some production notes that can maybe help us sort of remember where we left off and recontextualize things for this cool. episode. So yeah, I think we can definitely plan on that.
0: Cool. Very cool. All right. So yeah, so we'll be back next week then.
1: Sounds good. See you then.